Well, here we are. We are still in uh, Daniel. And boy, when I look at our uh, kids, uh, you know, in uh, sending them off to um, a junior congregation and their classes, um, boy, um, they are the future. And when I read the book of Daniel, uh, I certainly am thinking about, about them and about myself and all of us. What kind of choices would we make if we were Daniel and, uh, and if we uh, were, you know, at the same place in life? The hard part is, of course, when we say that Daniel was like a, a teenager or like 14 or 15, 14 and 15 in the ancient world was a lot different than now. I mean, we'll just say completely different uh, than, than now. They're basically adults, you know, functioning uh, as adults in an adult world. Uh, we have created that gap of time called adolescence. You know what I mean? That's another story for another day. But um, I still, still, I, the way the text describes, uh, uh, describes uh, uh, Daniel, uh, we see um, uh, that they are understood as those who are uh, the sons of Israel, the royal family, nobles, uh, those who were young enough to be able to learn and to grow and to serve uh, and to serve the king, uh, the best, uh, the best of the best. So we uh, we've been talking about this first chapter, uh, and one of the things I, I probably should have said this earlier, but one of the things that we want to understand when we read this. Uh, is it's not just a history, right? It's not just a, uh, you know, uh, telling us uh, interesting things about Daniel's life. Nor is it simply uh, uh, giving us a model by which to exhibit good behavior, okay? Uh, it's teaching us about God uh, and about what it means to know God uh, in exile. And so, therefore, what this really is, is a form of biblical wisdom literature. And uh, if you take uh, the class in the next term on wisdom literature, you'll see that you can make a case that almost the whole Bible functions in that uh, capacity of uh, helping us to understand God and relating to him and to the world around us uh, in a, a culture that is very different. It's true when God gave the Torah to Moses, he said, don't be like the Egyptians and don't be like the Canaanites, be like me. And then you read the histories in Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings, uh, and then you read the, um, uh, the exile history like, uh, you know, Esther, uh, uh, Daniel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Uh, a lot of it is teaching us about how we who identify with God relate to the world around us. And of course, you know, there's different kinds of wisdom literature. There's the kind that sort of gives the best case scenario, you know, that all things being equal, this is how you operate. Then you have books like Ecclesiastes and Job, which tell us, which really explain to us when 
things are not working the way they're supposed to work, then how do we relate to God and the world around us? See? So here in Daniel, we have the story of Daniel and his friends, but it teaches us more about God than it does about Daniel and his friends. It teaches us about God in a pagan world, God outside of the land. Uh, It teaches us how people who identify with God relate to this world through uh, uh, their identification uh, with uh, the Lord. And that's really, uh, I think, very, um, very important. Also, of course, what wisdom literature does for us, it gives, you know, it, it gives us not only how we live, but of course, the fact of where meaning comes from in, uh, in living out our lives in this world. And this is really very important because for Daniel and his friends, what happened to them could have been understood as, well, our life is meaningless now. Because now we're out of the land. Now we have no temple. Now we cannot reflect who God is supposed to be. In the best case scenario, a godly person going into the Babylonian captivity certainly could have thought, the, you know, what, uh, what, what good is life going to be now that we're out of the land? And this is, of course, where someone like Jeremiah comes in where you read those famous statements about God has great plans for you, not for calamity, but for blessing. It had to do with encouraging them as they go into, so to speak, the outer darkness, as they go out of the land, as they go to the pagan world, as they go to live in Babylon. Jeremiah told them to, you know, make a life for yourself in that pagan world. Don't fight it. Isn't that interesting? It says, don't fight it. But go there and make a life for yourself and make the world where you are better and reflective of the character of God. So it's very interesting because you see that here as well in uh, this first chapter and uh, elsewhere. And it's very interesting because it shows us how even in the midst of judgment, God blesses the people and still enables them to fulfill their calling. Israel is called to be a light to the nations, right? Well, uh, the reason that the Jewish people go to Babylon is because of a judgment. And it's through that judgment, through that unbelief, through that disobedience, landing in Babylon, that now God, the, the nature of God can be demonstrated through the lives of godly individuals in that place. And doesn't that remind us of a very important passage in the New Covenant? And maybe this is what Paul had in mind in Romans chapter 11. When when he says in verse 11, I say then they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Then it says to make them jealous. But isn't it interesting because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Because of the judgment on, on Judah, God comes to the Babylonians. And uh, it's interesting, it is, a, uh, it is a model or a paradigm uh, that you see. In fact, uh, when uh, uh, we read 
about, uh, you know, what we call end time prophecy, right? What is that terrible period of time we like to call the tribulation, right? The period of time just before the Messiah returns when, you know, it'll be a really horrible time in this world. Do you know what the Bible calls it in several different places? Exactly. The time of Jacob's trouble. The time of Jacob's trouble. Again, uh, a judgment on Israel, which ends with a worldwide cosmic understanding of God. See? So God is always, so that means, it tells us that Israel is always in the plan of God and being used by the Lord. And that is why we need to be praying uh, for uh, Israel and for our people to know the Messiah. Because if God brings salvation to the nations through the transgression of Israel, as Paul says in Romans 11, in uh, verse 12, now if their transgression be riches for the world and their failure be riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? And so, just as uh, God comes uh, uh, to the Babylonians, so to speak, and we see what happens in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, as we will see later on in this book, how much greater will it be when uh, Israel uh, relates to the nations in belief. And that is why the remnant of Israel is so important. That is why it is so important that uh, there are Messianic Jews in this world. Uh, Jews who believe in Yeshua, the Messiah, and who can fulfill that not in disobedience, but in obedience, along with uh, all people who uh, uh, believe in the Messiah. So it's a very interesting um, observation, I think, uh, here in the beginning of uh, the book of Daniel. Because in three different places in this first chapter, in verse 2, it says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into uh, his hand, meaning Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Then in verse 9, as we'll see in a moment, now God granted or gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And then in verse 17, God gave them knowledge and intelligence and every branch of literature and wisdom, and so on. God gave them. God gave them. God gave them. God's hand is on the whole thing. When horizontally, again, it looks horrible. The other way you could look at this, not God gave them, but they were taken into, uh, into captivity. Uh, they uh, were under the supervision of uh, perhaps some lenient uh, uh, guards of some sort. Uh, and they were smart enough to be able to learn the ways of the Chaldeans. Uh, you could look at that and say, oh no, they're going to assimilate, it's going to be the end, they're going to lose their identity. But no, God had his hand on the whole thing. And so no matter how life looks, and even if we don't understand it, even if we don't have a text of our lives, you know, like the book of Howard or something, or the book of Marcy, you know, to be able to see in print where it says, God did this and God did this. May, just like I prayed for the kids, may God give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart of understanding to see that God is in it all, even if we don't exactly uh, understand it. 
very important. Okay? All right, so we left off where uh, we saw that um, the Babylonians gave them an identity via their names, gave them new names. Uh, and, and we saw that in Hebrew, it's very interesting. It says that names were placed on them, like a mantle almost like. Names were placed on them. This is your identity. This is who you are. But in verse 8, you have the very same Hebrew word at the beginning of the verse, just like in verse 7. And, but it says, Daniel placed on his heart that he would not defile himself. It's literally what it says. Daniel placed on his heart that he would not defile himself. And we ended by saying, you know, when, we, uh, when we're talking about our, our youth and our children uh, growing up in this world, this world uh, gives us all kinds of identities as kids are growing up and what we're going to be. And then as adults, you know, what my, uh, what my career is, maybe that's my identity or on the greatest dad there ever was, or a husband, or a neighbor, or, you know, perhaps just something we're good at, you know, and that's my identity, whatever, that's my identity. But, but you see, all of that can go away. And what keeps us going is our core identity. And so the question is, have we placed on ourselves an understanding of who we are? Do we know who we are in Messiah? We, we are image bearers of God right? Reclaimed image bearers of God in the Messiah. And the question is, have we purposed in our heart? Have we set in our heart, this is how I will live? In other words, whatever the world calls me, that's one identity. But my core identity is I belong to the Lord and I know who I am and I know where I draw uh, the lines. Okay, uh, and that's what Daniel says. But in verse eight, but Daniel made up his mind, placed in his heart. Literally, it's what it says: placed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food and with wine, which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion, grace and mercy, is another way of saying that in the sight of the commander of the officials. So the point there is, is he did not allow uh, uh, Daniel anything, but at least he doesn't report him to the king and have him killed, okay? So the commander sort of maybe empathizes, evidently, according to the text, with, with Daniel. But notice, and the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid, okay, that's good. He says, I am afraid of my Lord, the king. This is Nebuchadnezzar, okay? Who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? So that's why we know they're young, see? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. That's obviously not a good thing, okay? So notice, you know, it takes, as we would say in the old country, it takes a lot of chutzpah to be in that kind of situation and to request anything. Certainly when it comes to, uh, you know, what the king puts on the table, it's not just about food. It's about relating to the king. It's about table fellowship, one might say, 
with the king. And to say anything about it is a tantamount to rebellion, right? That's why the commander is afraid of the king. But you see, Daniel is evidently not afraid of Nebuchadnezzar. He's not afraid of Nebuchadnezzar because he is so strong in his core, he knows who he is, that he, he's so settled in his relationship with God and the calling on his life that whatever happens, happens. See? It's when we're not so settled on that. When we have not set in our heart how we will live in our relationship with God, that we become susceptible to everything around us. When we're set in, the, in our core, then we view everything that happens through the lens of that relationship. It reminds me of, remember those things that you used to have a thousand years ago? We'd you look through it and you'd turn the thing and you'd get those different colors. And remember that? You know, it's sort of like you're viewing something through a particular lens, through a particular color. So in the very same way, Daniel viewed everything that was happening to him through this lens. So therefore, as we will see in chapter 3, which is a center of these first six chapters, that whether they live or die, he's going to do the right thing. See? So he's not really being pragmatic uh, here. Uh, he knows who he is. He's going to do the right thing. He is fearful of his Lord. He is fearful of his king, not Nebuchadnezzar. And of course, that's a question that we all need to ask ourselves. What's on the front burner of our lives? Who is indeed our king? When Yeshua said, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand and now is, he is our king. We live in an invisible kingdom. You know, uh, there's lots and lots of verses that we could say. My favorite is from Colossians in 1.13. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. And so if when we say, Lord, we really mean that, that everything we do is through that lens of obedience to God. See? And that is how Daniel lived his life, and that's how the commander lived his life. That's why Daniel was not afraid, but the commander was afraid. Okay? So, we need to ask ourselves, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? Am I, uh, uh, what am I fearful of? What am I anxious about? Right? Uh, what is that? What is it on the front of that uh, that list? And I hope it is uh, uh, being fearful or in awe of God. And there is a level of fear in the sense that He is the one with whom we have to do. Now, the wonderful thing is, the great news is, we have an assurance, an assurance of our acceptance in Him because of Yeshua. Yeshua is like our card, you know, you're in, right? Uh, and the way in is identifying with Yeshua. The way in, therefore, is through repentance. The way in is, I, is confessing our sins. The way in is trusting in the salvation that we have in Messiah Yeshua. That's the good news, that we don't have to uh, 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 be fearful of non-acceptance. What we have to be fearful of is recognizing that he is the one with whom we have to do. Okay? All right. 
That's why we don't put our eggs in the basket of this world. Our Savior is not any elected official anywhere, anytime, any party, any country. Boom. It is the Lord. See? And that is a big message in the book of Daniel. That the only empire that is forever and that is successful is the kingdom of God. And isn't it a wonderful thing that in that today we can have an assurance of uh, our uh, relationship with God, that kingdom of God. All right. So now, uh, Daniel has a problem. Having said that, he can't, the commander says no. <laughs> Even though he's kind of nice about it, he says no. So now what's Daniel going to do? Is he going to have, a, is it going to be like now a sit-down strike? I just will not eat because, you know, uh, I'm just, um, I can't do it. You're going to say no. So no. Daniel Sachal. Daniel is wise. Daniel has great common sense. Daniel has great understanding. And so what Daniel does, he does two things. He goes to an underling. He goes to someone who is not the commander, someone under the commander, and he doesn't just say, I can't eat this food. He negotiates. Notice carefully what it says in verse 10, uh, verse 11. But Daniel said, notice who he's speaking to, to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel. First he spoke to the commander. Now he speaks to the delegated person who's like watching Dan, the guard, some, you know, that, that, that type of thing, right? All right, and so now we read in verse 12, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink, okay? Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So, uh, Daniel has great faith and great trust uh, in God. Uh, and uh, he's, not simply, he's not simply making a case for himself. He's not, he's not, it's not like he's in prison saying, I have to have kosher food or else. Okay, it's not what he's doing. He truly is trusting God because he does not uh, want to defile himself. So now we got to talk a little about what he, mean, what he means by defiling himself. All right? All right. So people have wondered, what is the deal with the vegetables and the water? All right? Uh, it's, usually we jump immediately to the conclusion that, well, he wanted to keep kosher. Well, what's wrong with the wine? Okay? Uh, what, what's wrong with the wine? Okay, it's one thing for the uh, food, but what about the wine? Okay, not only that, but if you turn to chapter 10, notice what Daniel says he stayed away from for three weeks. In verse 3, I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. That's kind of interesting. I mean, it certainly infers that Daniel ate tasty food, meat, and wine. Okay? Uh, except for those three weeks. All right? So, it can't be only 
uh, an issue of I have to keep dietary laws. Now, I think that played into it, but it's not simply I need to, uh, I need to keep dietary laws. But I do think it's part of the reason. I mean, like anything else in life, usually there's a variety of things going on. Okay? There's something else happening here. In those days, the food of the king uh, certainly uh, was, uh, you know, there were delicacies and, and what the king would desire to eat. But oftentimes, they would have been offered to idols. And you're sharing, it's like you're sharing in the food of the gods. Okay? Now, this certainly would have been problematic. This was a problem for the believers in Corinth. If, if uh, you know, if you uh, remember that, that they were concerned about that, right? They were concerned about that. Uh, and so here, uh, uh, that certainly could have been it. That would have been a reason not to drink the wine, for sure, okay? But the problem with that answer is, was it only meat and wine that was uh, offered to idols? What about the vegetables? What about the rest of the food? Probably all the food would have been offered if it wouldn't have just been meat and wine, but all, all food, see? So maybe that uh, 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 played into it uh, as, as well. Then there's the issue of simply eating with the king, eating the king's food, which uh, was, like I said earlier, was like having table fellowship, like being in covenant uh, with the king. And perhaps Daniel didn't want to, to do that. Probably it was all three, and probably the issue of meat was dietary uh, rules, was dietary laws, but probably the, all three of these reasons played into uh, Daniel being concerned about the food, okay? But probably the dietary laws uh, was, the, was at the top of the list, but all of them being a, a part of it. Now... <clears throat> Why that? That's another question. Why that? Why didn't Daniel say, please call me Daniel? Not, my name is not Belshazzar. My name, my name is Daniel. <laughs> That's like a quote from four different books. Anyway, uh, and, uh, and, and so why, why that? Why not that? I mean, that's like uh, your identity and so on. Why the food? Well, you know, it is interesting that... <clears throat> When uh, you read, even in uh, the, the Torah, about a holiness and about uh, the food, it is true exactly what Yeshua said. Food in and of itself does not make a person spiritual. Food does not make a person spiritual. All right? So then, how does the, so then why, are there, why even have the dietary laws? I'm so glad we asked the question. Because holiness does not simply mean spiritual, okay? okay? It means, the best definition really is otherliness, different. So it's just like when you read, when God says to uh, the Jewish people in the wilderness, don't be like the Egyptians and don't be like the Canaanites. Don't be like them. Live the unique life that I'm giving you. Be holy, for the Lord your God is holy. Okay? Be other. Be different. The dietary laws, is, it's something that a person can do that they choose to be different than others. Okay? 
When I was a kid, and if you're Jewish, uh, you, you may have had this experience. Going to the supermarket, and you're passing all of the, uh, the meats and the chicken and, you know, the Tyson this and the whatever uh, company, a Kroger that. And, uh, and so the question is, Mom, why don't we get that? Well, I'll just say it in English. That's for the Gentiles. We go to the kosher butcher. No, that's for the nations. That's for the other. That's for others. We go to the kosher butcher. Going to the kosher butcher, yes, is very ethnic, and it's basically reduced to ethnicity and all that. But really what it is, without even realizing it, is this is being different from the nations. See? And so for Daniel, evidently, for him, this was where he draws the line. Okay? Learning the, uh, learning the, uh, the language of the Chaldeans, learning the literature of the Chaldeans, having a Chaldean name, that was okay. But what I'm going to put in my mouth needs to be different. And so, therefore, we see here, this is where Daniel draws the line. All right? Being different. So we need to ask ourselves... What is it that we do? Where do we draw the line? I wonder if we have set in our hearts where we draw the line. Where do we draw the line at work? How, do, how am I separate from others? Now, you know, if you hear the word separate or separation, immediately what comes to mind, uh, you know, is a black polyester suit in a King James Bible or something like that. You know what I mean? What degree of separation... Uh, and legalism and all of that. Legalism is when we desire to be holy without a level of spirituality. Isn't that interesting? You can be holy without being a spiritual person. I wonder if we've ever defined it that way. Hmm? Right? So the question is for us, how do I be like Daniel? How do I do that in my life? What do I do before God that identifies me as belonging to God, okay? It can be a variety of things. It, you know, uh, for some people, it might be um, a very outward thing, like something you wear. Uh, it might be, uh, or a moral uh, uh, a type of thing where you don't engage in certain uh, moral or you know, immoral activity. Or something that just for you, you have a conviction that that's something I'm not going to do, Okay? Uh, and, and that is very important, that uh, we set in our heart uh, where we uh, draw the line. Now, so, you know, it's interesting. Shabbat is another good illustration of this. Shabbat is a good illustration. Uh, uh, Shabbat is a day that's different from the other days. For the Jewish community, Shabbat is not just the day I have the service as opposed to Sunday. What is the day we have the service? Most people, most people frame the whole thing as what day is your service as opposed to a day that's different from the other days. Remember when Boaz uh, Michael was here? He said a very important thing about that is that you can have your service on Sunday but still observe Shabbat. Shabbat is a different kind of day. 
It is the holiness of a period of time. See? The holiness of a period of time. And it is interesting. There is a writer, a Christian writer, uh, who uh, wrote a very interesting little book on uh, the Sabbath. He wasn't too concerned about Saturday and Sunday, okay? And, and I, and I uh, probably agree with as much as I disagree with this particular writer, but <clears throat> his name's Walter Brueggemann. So he wrote a book called Sabbath as Resistance. <laughs> you know, kind of interesting, all right? But this is what he has to say uh, about it, all right? In our own contemporary context of the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of Sabbath is an act of both resistance and alternative. It is resistance because it is a visible insistence that our lives are not defined by the production and consumption of commodity goods. Such an act of resistance requires enormous intentionality and communal reinforcement amid the barrage of seductive pressures from the insatiable insistence of the market with its intrusion into every part of our life, from the family to the, to the national budget. And, uh, and so that's just, just one little thing he says. And his argument, of course, is very uh, social, you know, and economic uh, in, in nature. Uh, but he makes a, a good point that it is an alternative way of life. Shabbat is an alternative way of life if we really observe it, if we can observe it. Frankly, it's not easy to observe it in this world. You know, uh, there are those who have to work on, on, uh, on Shabbat. You might say, no, I'm going to be holy and I'm not going to work and therefore I'm not going to earn money and I'll go and I'll ask for money. <laughs> May I suggest that's not wise. Uh, okay. Uh, and, uh, and, and so uh, it's hard living in the diaspora to observe Shabbat, really, as that kind of day. Do you know where it's the easy, in the whole world, where is it the easiest place to observe Shabbat? Israel, right? Everything's closed. Uh, I, you know, every, everything's closed. Uh, from uh, Friday, basically, Friday afternoon to Saturday night. And so uh, we live in the diaspora. We live by a whole different set of values here. Although you can make the argument there too. But still, uh, the structure, the infrastructure is, is that it's much easier to observe uh, uh, Shabbat there than here in the remotest part of the earth, right? Here in the diaspora, uh, where it is very difficult. But what does it do? It is something that we can uh, be uh, proactive in. And it takes a lot of intentionality as the author says, right? To, be, to make it a different day. And more than just simply saying, see, it's a different day. See, see, now I'm a holy person. It's a different day, everybody, right? And I hate you if you don't observe it and I won't have anything to do with you and you're evil and everything else. You know, that may be holy, but it sure isn't spiritual. See, okay? What Shabbat does for us it reminds us of our otherliness in the Lord. It reminds us of our calling. It reminds us of what it means to be a Messiah follower. It reminds us of being an image bearer of God. 
It's like a bookmark in the week, you know? It reminds us of that. It, its purpose is not to remind us of how evil everyone is or how disobedient everyone is. It's to remind us of who we are, you see, in our, uh, in our uh, calling, okay? Uh, and, and, and so, therefore, uh, we make that choice. But there are other choices that uh, we can make, right? There are other choices. For, for perhaps it is not um, going to, not watching something on television that others, you know, when you go to work, sometimes people might say, hey, did you see that on TV last night? And maybe it's just something that isn't good for you, you see. Uh, maybe that's where you draw the line. Uh, maybe it, it has to do with uh, places you go, how you're entertained, peop- relationships that you have with people. I'm not, I can't have a relationship with that person or with that group because of this is where I draw the I have said in my heart, I will not defile myself. Now, what is very interesting about this whole thing is that in the Bible you have several illustrations of living in the diaspora, right? You have Joseph comes to mind and Daniel. Of course, they're always kind of linked together because of the dreams, right? Esther and Mordechai are other ones, okay? You know what's interesting about Joseph, Daniel, and Esther and Mordechai? They drew the lines in different places. Isn't that interesting? They drew the lines in different places. You can't read Daniel and say, okay, Daniel did this, this is what I must do. Joseph did this, this is what I must do. Esther and Mordecai did this, this is what I must do or not do. The wisdom is, is that their understanding and relationship with God was at the forefront of their lives and they understood that they were other and they, uh, and, uh, they were intentional in being other in different ways. The wisdom of it is, is the intentionality to be other. The intentionality to uh, be different in a way that says, I belong to God. I will not defile myself. Don't we read in the scriptures? Uh, to one person something is a sin and to another it is not. It's true, right? Very important that, that, we, recognize, uh, that we recognize that. The question for us is, where do I draw the line? As Jewish people, God has called us to be a different people. And that's the motivation for dietary laws. It's not intrinsic holiness, intrinsic spirituality. And that is exactly what Yeshua says in the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Mark. He's not dissing the dietary laws. He's not saying don't keep them. He's not saying that at all. But he's saying is food doesn't make you spiritual. It's what comes out of your heart is what makes you spiritual. He's... He, he is not saying anything negative about, di- about kashrut. And if we were standing there listening to him, we would not have understood that he's, he's not telling us don't keep kosher, but he's telling us that the food, don't reduce it to if I eat this, I'm holy. If I eat this, I'm a spiritual person. Let me tell you, I know plenty of people that keep kosher that are not spiritual. I know plenty of people that are H-O-L-Y, but not spiritual. Boy. That's really interesting. 
And that's a real question we need to indeed ask ourselves. Daniel's issue was, in his quest here, he desires to be right with God, to walk with God, to be a testimony before God, before these, uh, these authorities. All right? Now let's keep reading here. Verse 14, so he listened to them in the matter and tested them for 10 days. This is the guard, right? Okay? And at the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better. They were fatter. It doesn't mean fatter like they, you know, let me tell you, you eat vegetables, you're not going to get fat. But anyway, they were healthier. They were robust, you know? They were healthy than all the other youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. So here, God blessed them. And we see here this testimony. Does this mean that in every case, in every situation, God is going to uh, uh, do the same thing? No, it doesn't mean that. That's, in other words, it's, it's like a big proverb in a story. It's like a story proverb, right? The proverb is, you know, uh, if you desire not to defile yourself, you know, God, uh, God will meet your needs and you'll be satisfied. But we know that in life that doesn't always happen. So that's why you need to read the book of Ecclesiastes, okay? Uh, and, but what you have here is really uh, wisdom literature in story form. And so we learn that this great principle of it's important for us to set in our heart how we will walk with God, okay, for his blessing. Okay. Now, it says in verse 17, And as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days, when the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. Now, you know, the, now the commander brings them in. And the king talked with them. And out of them, and, and, and out of them all not, wait, wait, wait. And the king talked with them, and out of them all not one was found like Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's personal service. Notice that throughout here you have their Hebrew names being used. This is who they really were, see? This is what was inside of them. This was what Daniel and, the, and his three friends set in their heart. And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his realm. Wow! Well, this is really interesting. So God blessed them in this knowledge of the Chaldeans and the language and the literature. And Daniel could even interpret dreams to set us up for chapter 2. This is another very important uh, uh, truth here. God, you know that God knows more than just like about the Bible? Isn't that something? God knows about everything. God knows about everything. And do you know that, it, you know, uh, at least here, first here, God blessed them in this study of Chaldean literature and knowledge. And here they could uh, uh, now play this 
very strategic role in the court of the king, of course, especially uh, Daniel. But maybe it would have been wiser for Daniel to say, I will not learn the language. I will not learn the literature. I will not, and you can just kill me now. You know, we do that sometimes, don't we? We do that sometimes. We might say, you know, I draw the line everywhere. I am so separated. What I do is I draw a line here. You know, here is the interaction in the world we live. So I got a line here, and I got a line here, and I got a line here, and here, and here, and here, and here, and here. And you know what? I'm going to make sure that I am not infiltrated by the world, so I am going to build a brick wall all the way around me in this corner. Okay? And so now I am a holy Totally irrelevant person. Amen. If you can hear me over the wall. You know what I mean? Okay? Notice Daniel does not draw lines everywhere. He chose in his walk with God the line that he would not cross. You see? And isn't it a wonderful thing that in this world you can go to a university and you can study, and you can be a doctor, and you can be a teacher, and you can be an accountant, and you, whatever. You can be a plumber, or an electrician, or uh, uh, a senator, or uh, maybe even the president, or, or whatever it might be. But when God is the core, all of it is serving him. And do you know that when, you know, when God is your core, and when you go to school and you say, you know, Lord... Uh, I believe you've called me to go to law school, but I'm serving you in it. And you pray. God will help you in your knowledge. God will help you in your understanding. Now that doesn't mean, see, that doesn't mean that, okay, great. So are you, telling, are you telling me all I need to do is pray and I'm getting an A? See, that's where we go wrong, right? That's where we go wrong, all right? Uh, and, and so this is a, a great testimony uh, here of some principles to live by living in the diaspora, living in this culture, living, uh, living in this world. You know, Yeshua calls us to be in the world, but not of the world. And he told us also to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. And that is exactly uh, what Daniel does, okay? We see here that Daniel respects authority. Daniel respects authority. Uh, Daniel uh, is not showing himself to be arrogant. Some, you know, arrogant holy man. No, he respects the authority. Uh, he, he was given permission, even though the first person said no, he asked the second person. He didn't, he didn't uh, sneak around. He asked the second person. And God showed uh, he and his friends grace and mercy. So Daniel respected authority. Respecting uh, authority is a very important uh, testimony. Daniel takes a personal stand. It's important for us to do that. To take a stand on conviction. But to be wise in it. 
to recognize that we don't want to paint ourselves into a corner so that we cannot be a testimony, yet at the very same time, be able to take a stand. To show that, you know, here is, I, I must demonstrate in some way my relationship with God. And this is how I'm going to demonstrate that relationship with God. Our relationship with God, with God is not just in our heads. It's not just in our heads. It's not just this invisible thing. We are human beings. There has to be some kind of tactile manifestation of our relationship with God. Whether it is Shabbat, whether it is Kashrut, or whether it is where I go and what I do, some, in some way, shape, or form, uh, there needs to be an outward expression. Okay? And he works within the system that he lives. He works within the system that he lives. And Daniel ends up making a tremendous difference. And so let me just encourage us all that hopefully our goal is to walk with the Lord and make decisions based on our identification in him. Not just what works for me, but our identification uh, with, with him. Okay, uh, Daniel, Joseph, Esther, and Mordechai illustrate for us varieties of ways for us to make a difference in this world, standing for God and being relevant, uh, relevant uh, within it. And so finally, we might just ask ourselves, how can I be like this? I'm not like this. I'm afraid of everything. You know, I'm, I'm afraid of uh, what people might think. I'm afraid for my reputation. I can't help myself. It's just the, the way I am. What do I need to do? May I suggest that we, you know, take time to focus on the things of God, read the Bible, uh, be in the context of other believers, seek uh, wise counsel, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, and uh, try to do our best to stay away from all of the distractions that we have. Because so often it is the distractions of this world, it's just the distractions around, we live in a frenetic world, that the distractions of this world keep us from cultivating this kind of walk with God. And so, uh, there we go. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for Daniel. What a great uh, story we have here, Lord, of making a difference uh, in this world. And Lord, I do pray that that might, might be, uh, make a difference in our lives. Lord, I pray for each of us that we can point to at least something in our lives that makes me different from this world. And Lord, I pray that indeed, if we do see ourselves as living a holy life, that it also might be spiritual, Lord, that it might make a difference in this, uh, in this world. And Lord, I do pray that we would indeed be a good testimony, just like Daniel and his friends were a great testimony before the horrible King Nebuchadnezzar. Lord, I pray, God, that we would be a good testimony in our jobs, in our community, being good citizens, and all that we do. And the Lord, may you make a difference through us in this world. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.